Dear Jesus, we thank you so much for a new day. We thank you for the cooler weather and a chance to be together with fellow believers. Please be with us now as we learn more about how to help your children as they grow and mature in your name, amen. I have a personal uh, mission and that is I'm out of the classroom and I have Childhoods with Jesus, which is an independent ministry. And my goal is for every day for our boys and girls to know Jesus, no matter what happens every day. Well, if you're worried about your child, does your child forget to wash their hands before they eat or after going to the restroom? Does your child forget where they put commonly needed clothing, such as shoes and coats? Is your child unable to recognize items they need even when they're right in front of them, like a piano book or a lunch container? Do you have trouble getting your child to practice their music or clean up their room? If you answered yes to any or all of these questions, you have a very normal child. There are still many things that parents can do to improve their life with their normal children. And we're going to look at some ways that we can make a few changes that will make a big difference. In the book Education, the spirit of prophecy tells us the greatest the greatest want of the world is the want of men, men who will not be bought or sold, men who in their inmost souls are true and honest, men who do not fear to call sin by its right name, men whose conscience is true to the duty as the needle to the pole, men who will stand for the right though the heavens fall. But such a character is not the result of accident. It is not due to special favors or endowments of providence. A noble character is the result of self-discipline, of the subjection of the lower to the higher nature, the surrender of self for the service of love to God and man. The youth need to be impressed with the truth that their endowments are not their own. Strength, time, intellect are but lent treasures. They belong to God, and it should be the resolve of every youth to put them to the highest youth. And that's found in Education, page 57. I think that is just a very powerful message that we've been given. As uh, their handouts right there, ladies. <laughs> one homework assignment. <laughs> no, no, you were listening. I'm glad. But I think right there, that tells us kind of where we laid the groundwork, both as teachers and parents and leaders of children. So I'm going to go over the three R's. They're a little different from what you're used to. We're going to go over the role of a parent. We're going to go over the benefits of having a routine. And we're going to go over the benefits of having a relationship. The role of the parents is by far the greatest uh, vehicle for children to grow up to that ideal that we read out of the book Education. Routines will just make your life better, and then relationships are going to give you strength in what you're doing. So roles. Believe it or not, parents are important. Parents are the most powerful person in a child's life. If parents give up that role, and as a teacher, remember, 34 years in the classroom, as a teacher, I've seen parents give up their their role as a parent and they've wanted to be their child's friend and that does not work for the child they also give up some of the decision-making responsibilities to their child and those kind of things make teachers cry because 
an uh, 8, a 9, a 12-year-old, a 13-year-old does not have the life skills to be able to make life choices. Whether you're ch Now, I'm not saying you know, they can't have choices. Absolutely, they should have choices, but not those significant. When you talk about what they should eat, it's not should they eat peas or should they eat cookies. It's do they eat peas or carrots. I'm good with either one. But to let a child choose between vegetables and sweets, okay, the children are not equipped in the mental process to always make the right choice. If it's, you know, where you're going to go to school, do you want to, you know, go here or go here? If it's equal, that's one thing. But if one is going to teach them the world and one is going to teach them Christ, why, as parents, do we give up that opportunity to, to the child to choose? because they're going to look at all the, the glitz and glamour of one. And presence before presence. Parents are important. Parents need to be there for their kids. And over and over, when I talk with parents who are having trouble, or grandparents who are having trouble, or aunts or uncles who are having trouble with the children they're watching, it has everything to do, most of the time, with the presence of a parent. And then memories over money. That sounds funny because we have a bunch of greedy kids out there. I'm sure I was at their age. But the reality is they would rather make memories. Knowing when to say no. Parents need to be a parent. We talked a little bit about that. And then reinforcing desired behaviors. And we're going to look at each of these a little more closely. And praise, because praise is important, not just no. So, parents are important. What will children usually choose? Children want their parents' attention. And if they're not getting their parents' attention when they're being good, they will find other ways to get their parents' attention. Uh, I could walk around the campground and be talking to a parent, and their child starts acting up, and they'll say, I don't know what's going on with them. Well their parents' attention is at me and not on them. So that's normal childish behavior. It's, it's understandable. It's acceptable. We want to guide it. But children will get their parents' attention. So if you're talking to a child and then you switch to, ta you're, you're talking to your child and then you switch to talking to a friend, the child may be patient for a little while, but then they want your attention again. And Parents have got to not be the child's peer. For years, I, I showed you the three grandchildren. I have two sons. If you want to know more about them, I have a book in the ABC now, and it talks about an adventure with Eric and Adam and the big hole in the ground. But um, if there is an issue, we have to be the grown-up. We can't be their friend. And we have to have the wisdom of our years and our experience in dealing with the children. For years, my husband and I, fortunately, were of one mind, followed by the guidance of the book Education by Ellen White and the book Adventist Home by Ellen White. And I love it. She just woke everybody up. That's great. Um, but if you go to the Adventist Home, a powerful book. They are in the ABC. It's, it's a book that I'm getting ready to teach a class in China in a couple weeks to teachers, Adventist teachers there. And our textbook is The Adventist Home because there are sections in it that 
if you take out home and parent and apply it to teacher, it tells you how to structure a classroom. But as we got older with our children, they grew and mature, when they got to be 17, 18, we didn't have to be the parent so much anymore. We could be the friend. As they got in their teens, it just took little nudges. My husband came home from work one day and he said, I don't know, my, the guys I work with, they all have kids about my age and all I hear is them complaining about their horrible children. And he said, ours just get better and better every day. But that started as soon as they were born. It started with us being the parents and being able to gradually release um, our guiding them because we were teaching them how to make the right choices. Does that mean perfect parents? <laughs> no. And fortunately, it's my daughter-in-law who's here and not my son because he would clarify things for you. But, um, you know, God is good and God guides. And when we follow God's rules, he helps put words in our mouth that might not have been there before. And children live up to what is expected of them, good or bad. That means if you just, if you're saying, or if you hear people saying, my child is just awful. Well, you just gave your child license to be awful because that was what is expected. If you say, my child is just perfect, that puts a tremendous pressure on the child. But if you say things like, I really like how my child obeys. I really like how my child will sit down and eat a good meal. I really like, there's a, right there for you. Um, I really like, and be specific about what your child is doing that you like. This is really important for the child to build on because no child is perfect, no parent's perfect, no grandparent is perfect. But um, let's look at, at our expectations, be realistic, and always look for the good in what the child is doing. Point the good out. Now, we, we do have to stop the bad, but let's focus more on the good. Because again, parents are important and they're gonna do everything they can to get your attention. Presence before presence. This is, one, this is an old cartoon, but it's one of my favorite. And it comes, it, sometimes they rerun it when we change time, zone, you know, our time clocks in Michigan. So the little girl's staying there watching Daddy at the microwave, and she says, Daddy, why are you changing the clocks? And he says, we do this every spring, April. We put the clocks ahead, and this gives us an extra hour of daylight every evening. It's called daylight saving time, and it lasts till fall when we put the clocks back again. And he's getting his coat on, getting ready to go, and April says, Daddy. And he's changing his watch, and she, he says, what, honey? And she says, if it's called daylight saving time, will you save some time for me? And that gets me every time I share that, because we are so busy. Um, many of us have been working parents, or um, even if we're not working, we are working moms or working dads. And sometimes it's hard to remember that we've got to save the time for the children. We've got to spend time with them. That is their one, the, the thing they want most in the world. So presence before presence. They want your attention from mom and dad. As a teacher, as a grandparent, I can give them a lot of attention, which they like. 
but there is nothing better than from mom or dad. Um, let me back up a second. I had a boy, and, and I was teaching three grades, four, five, and six. And I'd had him as a fourth grader, and he could never get his work done. Well, that's kind of, that's, this is a very active boy. No ADHD, none of that, but just really active and had other things on his mind besides math and reading and spelling and social studies and science and Bible. And then in fifth grade, same thing. And we, were, we would print out all of his missing assignments. He would have two pages, sing, single spaced, of all the work he hadn't done. And as mom and I were just tearing our hair out, with this boy. This boy moved right beside my desk, so if I ever sat, I had to get him away from the peer group because um, he talked to everybody instead of doing his work. And I could relate to that, so I knew that I had to kind of let him be where he could focus because he would focus on people instead of work, which, by the way, is a skill and a talent. That's not something to say that's bad. That's a wonderful skill to have. But you also have to balance it with getting some learning done, not just social learning. And he and his mom and I came up at our, our January parent-teacher conference that if he could keep all his work caught up for six weeks, um, he would get some kind of reward, which is, you know, as a fifth grader, he could probably handle that. He worked, and he worked, and he worked. And he, we got him all caught up with all that stuff that was missing, which is huge. And he stayed caught up. And the, I was so great, I wrote a note, whole sheet of paper wrote, he's all caught up, excellent, you know, exclamation mark, sent it home. He didn't come to school the next day. Uh, oh, no, now he's behind a whole day of work. Ah! And he comes walking in the day after. Hi, Mrs. Shaw. So oh, I missed, missed you. And he said, yeah, I wasn't here yesterday. I said, well, were you sick? Oh, no. I'm thinking, this plan with the parents isn't working. And he just, he stood there grinning at me. He said, spent the day with my dad, made 50 bucks. I worked from 7 in the morning till 8 at night. Because his dad was, had a business, and, and it, was not an, it was a physical, he was a physical laborer. Best thing that ever happened for that boy. And I'm looking at him thinking, you are so far behind now. <laughs> but he stayed caught up because if he could stay caught up through the school year, when summer came, he could do that again with his dad. Because when you're thinking, dad's gone from 7 in the morning to 8 at night, this boy is not seeing his dad, and that's the number one thing in his life, is being with dad. And I had him in sixth grade, and we didn't have any problem. He, uh, he moved back in as, with the general group of class. And um, just, I told a friend one day, I said, you know, see him? There is every belief that one day he's going to be a conference president. <laughs> you know, he just has that potential. Well, a few years later, I was up at Camp Asable and talking to the, the camp staff about working with children. And I was getting ready to tell you the uh, this story to the staff. And I happened to look over here, and I thought, I think it's that boy. So I had to quick do a different illustration. And afterwards, he comes up to me, and it is. 
said, well, what are you doing up here? He said, I'm boys director. I said, oh, really? What are you doing in college? And he said, pastoral training for youth ministry. He could yet be my conference president. But, you know, it was identifying that what he needed more than anything else was dad time. And that was better than any kind of stickers or any rewards we could have come up with. I had another little boy my first year of teaching. I was teaching down in, in Kentucky, getting used to that southern accent, trying to understand what some of my children from the hills were telling me. And this boy, um, cute second grader, just never a problem. And then one day he started a fight and the principal suspended him. Well, I found out his mother, who was divorced, had gone to meet her fiance's parents. And he was gonna do whatever he could to get mom back home, which it worked for him. And she ended up not marrying the fella. I think because of the tension the boy caused. But he was gonna do whatever he could to get mom's attention back, because that most important thing in his life Okay, so I, I had another second grader who every time mom dropped him off at school would stand in the doorway right here, open mouth, crying his eyes out. Now, what does that do to a mother's heart? Absolutely breaks it. And what does it do to the teacher's heart? Breaks that. But, you know, he had to be in school. He had to be in class. And so mom would leave him, and he would, as soon as mom, he'd see the car pull out of the school drive, he was fine. But I, mom didn't understand that. And I said, he, he does this until you disappear from sight, and then he's fine. Well, I was a classroom where I had two doors, one here and one there. And I said, tell you what, drive around the block so he doesn't see the car, because I had a whole wall of windows. I said, just come peek in that door, and, and you're going to see he's okay. So she did. She said, I found it so hard to believe he's crying so hard. I said, I know. And, and in those days, being a young first-year teacher, I didn't realize how tightly he was bonded to his mom. I didn't have my own children then. And, but he had to be, get mom's attention any way that he could, and that was through standing at the door crying his, his eyes out. So, you know... Let's identify why the tears are there. It could be there's a physical distress, but it could be there's an emotional distress, which is very real, and let's identify it and help the child cope. By the way, if you start, if you ever start school, I used to, my first day of school, I'd walk upstairs, because it was a three-story school, and the kindergarten room was right down here. And the kids would all be running into kindergarten excited, and it was the mom standing out in the hall crying. On the other hand, when you get up to my sixth grade room, it would be the kids crying about the end of summer and the mom saying, they're yours, yay! So what a difference a few years make. One more story about the importance of parents, because to me this is the most important concept I can get across to you today. Pathfinder leader. In the Southern Union, you have to take kids on six campouts a year. Michigan, we don't do that. So we, my husband and I were rather shocked. Six requirements to be a club. You had to have six campouts. 
Well, in, in the Southern Union, you can camp all but about six weeks out of the year. So it's easy to get in those six campouts. So one of the girls had been camping with us probably for three years. She was a seventh grader. And she came to me one day and she said, I'm going camping with my dad this weekend. I can't wait. And oh, good. You know, I'm glad you're getting to do that. And the next Sabbath, when I saw them, they came back. Um, I asked her, so how is your camp out with dad? And she said, oh, it was the most wonderful weekend ever. Okay, I'm not going to be insulted. I have been on more camp house with this child than her father. And he's the most wonderful weekend ever. Go, oh, okay, what made it so great? Oh, we took a hike all Sabbath afternoon. And Saturday night we, we sat and we read together. He read and I read. It was the best camp out. Well, you know, when we go camping with Pathfinders, we're pretty busy. We do hiking, and usually we're doing something around the fire Saturday night other than reading, but it sounded good. Well, at potluck that day, that Sabbath, I asked the dad, so how did your camp out go with your daughter? And he looked at me and he said, it was the worst weekend ever. I mean, this kid is great. She's wonderful. And I thought, what happened? He said, all it did Sabbath was rain. We, she wanted to go hiking, and we just hiked in this torrential rain all afternoon, and we were so wet that all we could do Saturday night was sit in the truck with the heater on and reading a book. It was terrible. And my mouth is dropping open. I said, let me tell you what she just told me. And I told him that story, and he, it, you, you could see the lights coming on in his eyes. The weekend was great for her because she had time with dad, with our older sister, who was very dramatic, took lots of attention, but she got to have dad for the weekend. So helping your children or anybody who works with children understand that parents are, if you leave here with any other concept, please take this with you. Parents are important, and being present for your children is important. So I just told you some memories over money. Now, the boy did get paid, but it was never the money that excited him. It was time with dad. The girl, she got to have that memory with her dad. It, if you're going to reward, reward with a memory. Reward with something that you're going to do. And keep the reward simple. It could be if, you, you know, you, you're, if, you, if you'll clean up your room, we will have time to go to the park for half an hour. Or if you will eat your supper without fussing at me, we will read one more book tonight before you go to bed. Just keep it simple, keep it time with you, things where you can hold them, cuddle them, be with them. Those memories, if you say, you know, if you, if you get an A, I'll give you five bucks. Well, sure, five bucks is five bucks. And if the kid's already going to get an A, they're going to get an A. But it's not really. But if you say, you know, if you get that, if your grades are half A's, you and I are going to go to like Michigan for the day. Or look at memories that you can make. If you want to add some money to it, the kid's not going to complain at all. But you're going to get more um, effort by them making a memory. Spending time with the children before buying things. And don't, again, I'm a grandmother. I am desperately trying not to spoil the grandchildren. 
and I'm trying to do the time with them. Of course, they do get things too. So my husband keeps saying, are, are we spoiling them or, you know, he's worse than I am. So knowing when to say no. Um, knowing when to say no is a sign you care. I was in academy and I had some friends who wanted to go do something that I knew I shouldn't do. And I didn't really want to do it, but my friends were pressuring me into doing it. And I was at Day Academy, Andrews Academy, and my dad was the school principal of the elementary school, so my peer group knew my dad. And I finally just said, no, I really can't do it because uh, my mom and dad would never let me do something like that, you know? Throw the whole decision on mom and dad. I don't have to take the, you know, what is it, you're a coward or something? And so one of my friends goes up to my dad and says, blah, 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 can Judy go do this with us? And I'm over here going, please say no, dad, please say no, dad, you know, because that's what he would say if I asked him. And they got all done, and he just looked at her and smiled and said, no, I prefer Judy not do that. But I had confidence that my parents would hold the line. And my friends knew my parents well enough that they, they believed me when I said my mom and dad would say no. But they were so used to getting their parents to change their mind by you know that cute smile and sweetness that they thought they could use it on my dad. And fortunately, my dad was strong enough, and he just held the ground and said, no, I don't even remember what they wanted me to do. But I was so glad that my dad cared enough to, to be consistent, and consistency is tremendously important. Make your, reasons, make your decisions for a good reason and stick to it. Constantly at school, I have kids asking me, can I do this, can I do that? And I usually have to say no because there's a reason, but I try to give them the reason. You know, no, we can't have ice cream for lunch every day because, and then they get lecture 99 on too much sugar and not enough activity. Or they may ask, can we just skip homework today? And I can say, no, because I want you to make sure you learn this and this and this, and you're gonna get it through practice. So. You know, it, they're, they're going to ask. Kids are going to ask. You can say no every time, but they're going to keep asking. But explain to them why. Have a reason for why you're saying that, and then stick to them. I had a student. He was the best kid. I, he started in first grade, and I had him through fourth grade, and then I had him for the next three years in Pathfinders. This boy, he was like, would do anything for me, even as a first grader. One day he came in and called me grandpa, and then he was horrified. And I'm over here going, I'm called mom a lot, but never grandpa. And he's a second grader, so he's so horrified. And finally he comes up and said, I know why I called you grandpa. I was helping my grandpa last night, and I kept saying grandpa this, grandpa that, and it just slipped out. It's, it's okay, it's okay. You know, I went and had gone and checked, do I have just a lot of gray hair, but his grandpa's bald, and you know. That, Anyway, so I'm standing talking to his mom outside of church after potluck. You learn so much at potluck. And, and she and I are talking, and he comes up and says, Mom, can I go over to his house this afternoon? And Mom says no. 
So he runs off, you know, and he comes back a few minutes. Mom, can I please go over to his house? He wants me to come so bad. Please, please. And mom says no. And I thought, wow, he never does that to me. Usually a no is a no, and he's good with it. Came up a few minutes later. Mom, please, I really want to go over to his house. Please, he really wants me. You know, we never get to see each other. They spend all day at school together, but we never get to see each other. And finally, mom says yes. Okay, I understand why he kept coming back. And then he runs off, happy as can be, and she says, I do not know what I'm going to do now. Because this boy lived uh, 45 minutes south of town, and she lived half an hour north of town. And she was going to have to drive down, pick him up, and come back. And she had another appointment at 6 o'clock. She said, I don't know how I'm going to do it. Why did you say yes? Why did you say yes? If she had been willing to stick to her decisions and explain to that boy why they were, she would not be in that kind of trouble. And that, this predates my having children, but that experience really stuck with me. One, I need to be consistent with my child so they know what I'm gonna say. They can ask, never hurts to ask. Okay, so I've been doing seminars for a lot of years, and a lot of times they were Sabbath afternoons, we'd go to different churches and i talked talk to parent groups. And because we're a family, my husband would come with me and our two sons would come along. So they have heard this particular one over and over and over. And they're sitting there because, you know, you tell stories about the people you know. And they came to me one day and they said, Mom, you told stories about us on Sabbath. Yeah, are you okay with that? And it's... Their names are Eric and Adam, and they said, Eric, Adam and I have been discussing this. Oh, boy, I'm in trouble now. Um, Mom, we think that if you tell stories about us on Sabbath afternoon, that we should get chocolate ice cream for supper on Sabbath. And see, my husband and I, we we did not give them a lot of sweets. You know, they bounce off the wall with a lot of sweets. They're not hyperactive, but it sure triggers something. So they, they, and never chocolate ice cream, I mean, we want to work this deal with you. So I said, oh, you know, I've got to learn to negotiate. I said, if you hear me tell the story about you, you may have chocolate ice cream for. You know, they sat and listened to my seminars over and over because they were sure they were going to get chocolate ice cream. And they did. <laughs> and I told that to a group um, at the school. I was talking to the the 7th and 8th graders and said, you know how parents tell stories and the deal that had been worked out. My son was, Eric was working up at camp and one of those kids from the school, when she went to camp, she went and told him, I had told a story about him for chapel one day. And he drove down from camp on his day off to find me so I would take him out for chocolate ice cream. I said, the deal is, you had to hear the story. And he said, Mom, I heard about it from somebody. It stuck with them. I get the ice cream. There's a really nice ice cream shop about yeah. on the other side of Edmore. Great chocolate ice cream. Uh, the sad thing is now we're both allergic to milk and can't have it, unless it's vegan ice cream, which we found. So anyway. Um, And I already told you the mistakes of saying no, no, and then yes. So parents need to be parents. Homework. (sighs) 
the evilest word on planet Earth. Absolutely. I do not like to give homework. I, I would send homework that wasn't finished to be completed, schoolwork to be completed at home. I, I would like for work to be done at school. Uh, with the new math curriculum, I really did not want parents to face that. Because as a teacher, they changed the vocabulary, they changed the methodology, it was still the same math. But it had different approaches and parents would come in and say, what is this? And I would say, if your child brings it home and you don't understand it, just do the math the way you know. It's okay. It's still got to be done. It's, but it, to me, it felt like unfair for parents to have to face that. But what I always would want parents to do is read. The most important thing we can do with our kids is read to them. Children before they enter school should have been read to hundreds and hundreds of times. I don't remember the exact number. It's like 5,000 books before entering school. And the number one thing for school readiness is have a kid be read to. So I would want parents to read to their children 20 minutes a day. And you could read to them all at once. But if you're reading to your child 20 minutes a day, their chances of being ready to start kindergarten or first grade are huge. But homework is is something that happens. And so please, if your child has homework, um, make sure that you don't have them do it right after school. When they get out of school, they should go outside and play. You know, we're in Michigan, that gets dark early. They need to go out and get sunshine. I'm sorry, but that's, that's really important thing for children. But then set aside a particular place for homework and a specific time. And the, there's a reason for that. We'll get into that. But don't do their homework for their kids. I have had parents do their children's homework. And that works fine for first, second, third, fourth grade math. But you get into fifth and sixth grade math, now the parent and the child can't do it because the parent's not there for the teaching. And the child never had to do it, so they never learned how. So as much as we want to help our children, we want to help them by saying, how would you approach doing this? OK, I see you have handwriting to do. How do you want? <sighs> handwriting, that's a no-brainer to send home. But I had parents who would do their child's handwriting for them because their child talked all through handwriting class. But it's better if we say, uh, so when your child comes home, find out how much homework they have. You know, show me what you have so you can plan things. Make sure they go out and get fresh air, sunshine, exercise. And then you're going to make sure they get to bed on time. So now you've got this window where they have homework to do. And make it at the same time because our brains take 15 minutes to adjust to a new task unless it's a routine. So I'm a writer. One of the things I did to when I left the classroom a year ago was did a lot of writing. And I know that there is a certain time that if I sit down to write at that time, oh, things flow really well. If I try to do it at a time where I usually do laundry, I have to sit and fight with myself to try and get anything on paper. Because we have a 24-hour routine. Um, our, we're set up that way. So find a time that works for you and your family to do homework. I had one parent who got his child up at 5 every morning to do their homework because that works, that's what worked for their family. That would not work for my family. 
Um, we need to be careful what we let children watch, what kind of movies. Um, I am not a proponent of sleepovers. I, I never let my children do sleepovers. And again, it goes back to one day a mother came in just really angry. She said, I don't know how my child is going to be today. He had a sleepover last night. And I'm going, on a school night, how could you do that? But her upsetness was not that. It was that the parents turned on an R-rated movie and then left it unattended for 12-year-old boys. I, I was, you know, I'm still horrified that she let him have a sleepover on a school night, but then not... You know, we got to be careful. We got to protect our kids. And we don't necessarily know what other parents are going to uh, think is appropriate. So we got we to gotta be real careful. Children want to be your companion. Do stuff with your kids. Um, we still do things with our children. And they're grown up and have grandchildren. It's a lot of fun. Um, don't let them use unmonitored technology. I, I grew up when um, PCs were just starting, you know, with the big and everything. And to, um, we got our boys' computers when they got to a certain age, but we also put desks in the family room, and the computers were on the desk because I wanted to know what they were doing on their computers. And we have to be really careful. Our kids are getting too much screen time. That's... Um, um, laptops, that's iPads, that's cell phones, that's televisions. They're getting way too much, and it is damaging. And they just came out this week saying that um, addiction to gaming is actually a, something that a mental illness or a, an addiction. They call it an addiction, and so that you can pay for treatment now through insurance. I learned that a long time ago. I was teaching when Game Boys came out, and at Christmas time, um, after Christmas, four of my students started just Fs. One of them had been an A student, two of them had been B students, and one was a C student. And by parent-teacher conference time, and at the end of January, they were all failing. And at, and I had met with the parents at that point. It wasn't the end of the grading period, but I had conferences with these parents trying to find out what happened to their kids. And I found out every one of them had gotten a computer game for Christmas. And then I went back when I discovered that and talked to all the parents and said, I think this might be the problem. And the one parent whose child had been an A put theirs away, locked it up, and he went back to being an A. The two B students, um, when I talked to them, they also, restricted it just to uh, weekends. And the C student, they, they put it in a closet in their room. Well, everybody's grades came back up except the C student. He kept on failing. And so a couple weeks later, I met with the parents and said, he's still having a lot of trouble. And they said, I don't know. You know, we've got it in our room. He was waiting, we discovered, until they were asleep and then sneaking in and playing in their room while they slept. So that, again, went under lock and key until summer. Unmonitored technology is very dangerous for children. We've got to be careful with that. We've got to monitor it. My kids never got to have computer games. We asked them, 
when they were in their late teens if they had felt like we were, you know, being really horrible to them. And he said, well, we, we understood why you did it at the time. We kind of felt left out because everybody's talking about games, but, you know, when we got in college, we suddenly understood why you had said that and why we'd been restricted because they watched their, their roommates, they watched their classmates fail because they were playing games instead of studying. And suddenly they had their aha, ah, mom and dad did know what they were talking about. So it's not easy being a parent. We want to avoid the negative talk. Children, if we talk negatively about people who are important to them, like teachers, pastors, pathfinder, adventurer leaders, people they have in contact, when we talk negatively, that injures the child. So we've got to be careful. We can have negative thoughts, those we give to God, and we take it to God in prayer because not everybody's going to do what we want to do. We just have to be real careful. Um, parents need to parent. And school, if you want your child to succeed, it can't take the back seat. You have to help your child be successful, and that means a lot of things like doing homework, getting good food, getting rest. And there are responsibilities. Children need to have responsibilities, otherwise they don't learn how to be responsible. And all of these things lead to good self-esteem. We can talk a lot about building self-esteem, but unless we're doing these things, the child is not going to have self-esteem because they don't understand their self-worth. But when we put that self-worth in it, let them know how important they are because we love them so much and because they're a child of God, that self-esteem is going to be there. So reinforcing desired behaviors, we need to role model that. Children tend to become what they see. Now, when you see my three-year-old granddaughter standing there screaming, it's not because that's what my husband and that's not because that's what her dad and mom do. It's because she's three. But if she's telling lies because her, she's seen her parents tell lies, that's a role model. So if we never get anything done on time and we're always having to rush, those children are going to take up that whole attitude of rushing. Because children don't do things on time. They, they don't have that concept. That's why they need parents. But if we're always rushing around, they're going to have developed that same behavior. Again, I talked about honesty. I've had parents in parent-teacher conferences tell me that they don't want me to tell the, the spouse what I just told them about their child because the spouse will get angry. And they're going to lie to the spouse. So this kid is lying, and you're upset because they're lying, but yet you sit right here and tell me you're going to lie. Uh, if we want them to read books, they need to see us reading books. And that could be e-readers, you know, but again, that's screen time, and that is a little bit more harmful than, for kids than for us because of their eye development. If we make excuses for things, they're going to learn that they can make excuses. Kids are going to make excuses anyway, but if we're modeling it, they're going to think that's an okay way to um, excuse what they have or haven't done. We need to model trust. Okay, I'm going to trust, I'll tell my class, I'm going to trust you until you show me I can't. And then it's going to take a lot for you to rebuild that trust. If you say you're going to go out and go to the restroom and I find you peeking in other classroom doors, you've blown your trust. I mean, that's a simple thing. And sixth graders understand that because they don't want their trust blown. 
Um, I was on a mission trip. Um, I got to go to China three years ago. And it was during the school year, which is really rare, but my board allowed me to go in my conference. And so I had written up lesson plans. I had a great sub. She's a wonderful teacher. And I wasn't worried about the kids. But I had said, keep an eye on this one, because if, if they go out of the classroom, you'll find them wandering in the hall and just keep an eye on it and get them back in, a ninth grader or 10th grader. So I come back and uh, got lots of hugs from ninth and 10th graders. That was fun. And the next thing out of their mouth was, did you really put that in the notes that you need, they needed to watch out for me because I'd wander in the hall? Well, yes. Oh, you know me so well. <laughs> but it was, it was a case of, you know, I know what you're going to do. I trust that you're going to be who you are, even when I'm not there. We need to help them see that we're delaying gratification, um, not always buying them everything they want in the store. Uh, again, I'm speaking as a grandmother. Even though it's going to break their heart not to have that, it's okay. You know, we don't get everything we want all the time. And they need to see parents modeling that. They need to see teachers and leaders modeling that. Uh, Colin Powell years ago said, children do not want to grow up without structure and discipline. This is a military man, and he's getting the kids in the military who are looking for structure and discipline. I, I flew into the Atlanta airport in November, and uh, my husband and I weren't seated together. I was near the front, and he was near the middle. And so I got off before he did, and I'm standing there waiting. Now, if you've been to Atlanta airport, you know it's a huge, busy airport. And I'm just standing there, and this young man in military um, fatigues, comes by, and he just goes, oh, Mrs. Shaw, and he comes over, and he hugs me, and I'm, okay, I must have been one of my students. Who is this? And he steps back, and finally say, all right, what's your name? I mean, because they grow up and change, and he said, tell me who he was. I went, oh, I should have known. His dream was to be in the Marines. said, so you joined the Marines? Yes, and I love it, and um, we're now Facebook friends, and you know, you got to keep up with your kids and see how they turn out, and a little horrified at times. But he did not grow up with structure and discipline, and he craved it so much, he joined the Marines to get the structure and discipline. And I knew it back when he was 11 and 12 years old that he, he wanted that so bad, and as much as I talked to his mom about it, it was beyond her. And so now he's in the military. I said I'd talk about praise. When, re when rewarding, remember the younger the child, the more immediate the rewards. And this is so important. Kindergartners, if your child is kindergartner or younger, they need immediate rewards. These are daily. If they're a three-year-old, it's almost hourly if you're going to reward them. And be careful, with, be a little stingy, but um, they can't get concepts much farther in advance than daily. If you have a first or second grader, you can give them a weekly reward. If I don't have to call you twice for, to get up all week, um, on Sabbath afternoon, we're going to go do this, or Saturday night, we'll do this, or you know, whatever family time you want to do, but you have to stick to it. Third or fourth graders, they can go two weeks. If you want to do a reward every, every half a month, they can handle that. They can work towards it. It doesn't get out of sight for them. Fifth and sixth graders, a monthly reward. 
That, you know, if you can say, all right, if you guys do this and this and this, at the end of the month, we're going to do this. We'll have a special. Do you know what the best reward I have found for kids? Extra recess. If they can get extra recess, we were trying all kinds of stuff to motivate them to read. And we discovered that giving them a half hour extra recess at the end of the month, best reward ever. I don't have to shop. I don't have to spend money. I don't have to clean up. I just get to go outside with them. And if I'm lucky, I get to play softball with them. So um, seventh and eighth graders, they can handle a grading period. If you're trying to motivate them to get through a grading period, they can, they can put a goal on that and go to it. Nobody's motivated by grades at the end of the year. I had a parent who came in and said, they've got to get this good grade. I'm going, to take, I, I'm going to take them to Disney World if they get all passing grades this year. All right, good. You know, sixth grade, good luck with that. Because they, they were used to having a couple Fs because they wouldn't do their work. I mean, these are not 50% Fs. These are 10% Fs. I mean, they're low Fs. And uh, yeah, they did pretty well the first quarter. They did pretty well the second quarter. Third quarter, they were not doing well. And I'm meeting with the parents saying, you know, they are failing. They said, oh, they can't fail. I've already bought the tickets to Disney World. They failed. They still went to Disney World. What did that teach the child? It taught them they didn't have to do what they had bargained to do. They would still get the reward even if they didn't have the accomplishment. And they couldn't trust their parents to do what they said. Horrible situation. So be very careful what you're going to promise your child. And make sure that if they don't meet that goal, you can live with the consequence of losing out on that reward. Praise must be honest. Give instructions, and this is these a, a teacher meeting. We went over them, and I'm going, I know how to give instructions. And then clear, concise, correct, complete. The, uh, I've been having trouble getting these kids to line up. You know, by the time you're in sixth grade, you think, line up, you know how to do it. And you're in a bigger school, so you've got to be silent in the hall. I thought, well, I'm going to try this. I'm going to be clear what a good line-up order looks like. I'm going to be concise. I'm not going to be real wordy. I'm going to you know, make sure they know what was correct and what's complete. So I said, OK, I thought you knew how to line up. My mistake. I'm going to help you. Lining up means one person behind the other. When I look, I see just one row of heads. You are farther enough behind the person in front of you that you're not going to stumble into them. You're not going to touch them. And good line means no talking. And they looked at me, and the whole line shifted. And they said, we didn't know, Mrs. Shaw. Why didn't you tell us this before? And I thought, this is great. We got to the gym with no problem. Line up. They were back to their self. And I went through this. How many times do I go through this? Six weeks. It took me six weeks doing that, how to line up every time we lined up before they could do it without instructions. And these are bright kids. They do, they've been doing this for years. So our kids, you know, how do you make a bed? Just make the bed. Well, then you have to go through. 
Making the bed means pulling up the sheets, pulling up the covers, wiping out the wrinkles, making sure the sides are even, getting your pillows back on, awesome job. And you've got to go over and over and over it. Now we're to routines. This is success automatically. Routines are wonderful. If you are being a parent and being present, then get your routines lined up. My grandchildren, little girls having trouble going to sleep. My son, who sat in on this seminar many times, finally just said to his wife, I think we need to do what my mom said. We need to incorporate routines. And they did. He comes in and says, Mom, a couple weeks ago, we started doing the routines that you said for bedtime. It really works. <laughs> all those years, and you didn't trust me. OK. First of all, parents need to be in the habit of listening. And we listen when they jabber, and when they don't have much to say, and when they just talk endlessly. Because as they get over, if we're the older and we're in the routine of listening, they're going to start telling us some really life-changing things that they're going through. And we want to hear that. If we have not been listening to them until we're getting ready to listen to when they're 13 and 14 and teenagers, they're going to not be talking to us anymore. They're going to talk to their friends. But so as a grandparent, we, I try to listen. As a parent, try to listen. Um, there were times uh, when the kids got so they could drive the car, they would take the car and go home, and the, we weren't that far away. And then I would call one of them to come back and get me. And those boys would decide who was going to come and get me based on who had the most to tell me. Because the moment I got in the car after school to go the mile home, and, and I could have walked home, except I had so many papers to grade that it got too heavy to carry, they would start talking to me. And there would be times that I would have to finally break the conversation to go to the bathroom, and that blew it. So I learned to use the restroom before I called them so that I could stand and listen an hour when we got home for them to tell me all about their day, because I want to hear that. That is so important to know what they're going through. So make it, when they're little, start that habit of listening to them. Girls are going to talk to share their day. Boys are going to talk to get help. It comes from Mars and Venus, you know, that kind of research. We just have to talk to get it off our chest. I would come home and talk to my mom, and, and on Friday she'd be trying to clean the house for Sabbath, and finally she would just say, if you're going to be here, help me. Well, that was fine. I just wanted to talk to mom. I didn't mind cleaning the bathroom and doing the dusting as long as mom was there for me to talk to. Your boys are looking to get your help. Your husband, if he's sharing stuff with you, he's looking for you to help him with it. Rest for your sake and theirs. All teachers know they can handle stress better after a good night's sleep as opposed to just getting a few winks. Now there's proof that students do better in school, too. We knew it, but a recent study in the Journal of American Medical Association indicates that most teens need nine hours of sleep in order to perform optimally at school. The typical teen, however, gets seven hours of sleep. 25% of teens get fewer than six and a half hours of sleep each night. Students who get mostly A's and B's go to bed earlier on both weeknights and weeknights weekends than teens who get mostly D's and F's. You can raise your kids' grades by getting more sleep.
That's pretty neat. It's not happening though. Again, parents aren't being parents. Parents are letting kids decide the bedtime. And my kids were, I think they were in academy before their bedtime in the summer moved to after dark. They used to complain to no end and we just said, you only grow when you sleep, go to bed. We may have messed up because the younger one's six foot five and the older one's six foot eight. So they were getting more than enough sleep maybe. We do need a wind down time and that's where routine comes in. And here's, here's what, what I found works really well. And my son finally made that discovery. Have family worship. When you're about a half an hour before you want your child to go to bed, have family worship. Then maybe have bath time. This is a relaxing time. They're, you know, little kids get pretty dirty, pretty sweaty. Bath time's a wonderful time. Then, then this is snuggle time. Read a, a couple books in bed. Little kids' books aren't that long, but it gives you a chance to snuggle together. And I, those are books, you know, I would put out five or six books and let them choose the two they wanted me to read. Ch little ones like stories over and over, the same ones. I now have Clifford almost memorized. You know, Clifford the bed, big red dog. It's a good thing I like Clifford. And then have prayer with them, and then it's lights out. And they get used, again, it takes about six weeks if you're going to start a new routine. But then at, at that time, they're done. Now, if a child won't get up in the morning, then you start their bedtime a half an hour earlier until they can get up when they're supposed to. James Dobson was the one who, who shared this information. He said, daughter wouldn't get up in the morning, so they set the bedtime back half an hour. Still wouldn't get up in the morning, so they set it back another half hour. They ended up putting her to bed an hour and a half earlier for her to be able to get up for school on time. Mommy, guess who's up and had a good night's sleep? That's what we want our kids to do. We want them to come to school awake and alert, and you guys are doing amazing for our after lunch seminar. Meals. 50% of working mothers say they don't have time to make regular meals for their families. I just heard on the news today that um, foods that people take home to prepare, are, the purchase of those foods is way down. They just that put out that statistic today. But yet, foods that have, are pre-prepared has gone up like 44%. We're not taking time. We're, we're so busy, we're not taking time to fix foods. And as, as you know, health-conscious adults, we, we really want to know what's in our family's diet and in our diet. So my suggestion is plan a menu for the week, get your children to help, if they don't eat in the morning, they need to go to bed sooner so they can get up earlier to eat breakfast. It may be that supper needs to be eaten earlier. And this is especially if I have somebody from another culture. As, as Americans, we tend to eat an early supper. Other cultures tend to wait until the weather gets cooler, and so they're used to eating a later supper. And so they come to the United States, and they're still in that, that cultural habit of the later supper. So just helping them understand, eat earlier in the evening so your child is hungry in the morning because do not send them to school without breakfast. It's like saying, we're gonna go, on, go take the car and we're gonna race it and we're gonna win and we're not gonna fill the tank before we go. Where does that car go in the race? Nowhere, they're stuck. Kids who come to school without breakfast are stuck. All they can think about is when they're gonna fill up at lunch.
and um, those who do come for breakfast, and, and we put the, the hard stuff in the morning when they have the most mental you know, alertness. So if your child still isn't eating a good breakfast, have them eat less for supper. Um, apparently they're, they're still, their stomach hasn't had a chance to process sufficiently. Breakfast, hot or cold cereal. If you talk to Evelyn Kissinger, she's a big proponent of oatmeal. That explains why my father got up and cooked oatmeal for us every morning. It took me 20 years to be willing to go back to oatmeal after I left home. But you can have toast and bagels and muffins and waffles. Just be real careful. Those are high sugar foods. Um, breakfast bars, you know, if all else fails. Fruit, awesome, but it's not going to stick with them. Put fruit with oatmeal, great breakfast. You might have juice, might have eggs or tofu scramble. Get your kids to have breakfast. Get them to have nutritional breakfast. And then power pack your lunches. As a teacher, I absolutely hate it when a kid comes to school and their lunch is a snackable. There's no nutrition in there. It's just all calories. Or I had kids, uh, we finally took the microwaves out of the school because all they did was have popcorn for lunch. And when you have 10 kids popping popcorn for lunch in one microwave, you have kids who are still popping, popping popcorn after lunchtime is over. That was it. That was all that they took for lunch was popcorn. This does not help children learn. One, the, the lunches I envied the most were the moms who, after they fixed a big supper. After supper, the kids got out and they got to pack leftovers for supper. From supper, that was their lunch for the next day. I would look at that and go, oh, I'm coming to your house for supper. That is a wonderful lunch. Great, great. Or one mom said, well, they finish all supper. So as soon as I finish, before we sit down to eat, I pack their lunch and put it in the refrigerator. And then, you know, there's only so much, which is plenty for them, but they're not overeating. One, if you've got a good balanced supper, that's a wonderful lunch to have. And if the kids can microwave at school, um, go ahead and pack their lunch when they're fixing supper. Now, my husband really hated it because in the morning when I'm fixing breakfast, I didn't have time to, to make sandwiches and stuff. So I was fixing peanut butter and jelly sandwiches the night before. And he says, oh, don't do that. They get soggy. And I said, I don't have time in the morning. He said, I will, I will make the sandwiches in the morning. You, you get everything else ready. I'll do it. So for years, he made our lunch sandwiches every morning. Um, we, we planned ahead. Pre-packed foods are expensive. Um, one mother, the kid came with candy bars every day. That's what they had for lunch. And I talked to the mom. She said, well, I'm not going to fix their lunch for them. They're old enough to fix their own lunch. I went to Andrews University, took college. I lived at home. My father packed my lunch through college. I learned how to pack a lunch myself, but that was just one of his ways of showing love to me is he would pack my lunch for me every day when I needed a lunch in college. So to say, you know, if you're a sec second grader and they don't learn how to pack their lunch, they're still going to be okay. But make sure that they have a good lunch. Um, and if you're going to have them fix their own lunch, then supervise it. Don't just turn them loose on it. Make sure they're packing what you want them to pack. I've already talked to you about the tele television iPhones. Uh, ADD, 
Attention Deficit Disorder or ADHD Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, you need to limit their viewing time to half an hour a day. If your child has been diagnosed with that or you think they might have it, limit their, their screen time. And you're going to see a difference usually. This also helps all children. Train children to understand what they're watching and analyze it. And the best way to do that is watch whatever they're watching with them. I called my brother one day and it sounded like Barney in the background and I asked him, are you watching Barney? And he says, yes, we used to watch Power Rangers and my son kicked a hole through the drywall, so now we watch Barney. And I know that's old, but if you're watching television with your children, it's going to be really easy to turn it off. And then if you're watching it and whatever's on it does something that's not in our beliefs, like there's lying or cheating, that's a good time to stop and talk to them about what they're seeing and analyzing it. Um, make sure what you watch is teaching your morals, beliefs, and values. Again, it's going to be real easy to turn it off and discuss what you're watching with them. Um, we got the Nature Channel at one point for our kids, and as we're watching it, just a horrendous amount of evolution. And so you want to sit and talk to them. If you're going to let them watch that, make sure they've got a biblical background for what they're hearing. Chart what is watched, like when and how long, and you'll see the addictions coming through. I really want to get to this one. It's nearsightedness. Most children between the ages of 5 and 15 in developed countries watch a screen two to three hours a day, and all children watch at least seven to eight hours a week. That's a lot of screen time for our kids. Myopia has doubled in the United States in the past 50 years. This, this was on ABC News a few weeks ago. Sunlight is important to release dopamine, which keeps the eye from getting stretched or elongated. This helps keep children from being nearsighted. You know, earlier I talked about the importance of being out in the sunshine. Eye development depends on it. Some warnings are if the child is squinting at the screen, if they have poor attention, trouble reading, or are drawing less. A lot of our ADHD problems are really eyesight problems. I had a teacher who said, if some parents thinks their child has ADD or ADHD, send them to the eye doctor, because a lot of what we're seeing is related to vision. We also know that there's a vision problem if they desire to be seated somewhere else in the classroom. 80% of what a child learns at school is visual. You, you kind of think like right now, you're doing a lot of, I'm doing a lot of talking, so you're doing a lot of listening. But I do have things up here for you to look at because I know how much learning is visual. If you really want a child to learn something, have them do it. Encourage your children to get out in the sunshine. Homework, talked about that already. Where do you want them in your bedroom? I don't want them in the bedroom because I want to know what's going on. Kitchen table, great place to do it. Maybe on the floor with you. Again, get that routine time. Our brains. We have four quadrants in our brains. And the, the brain quadrants function this way, back and forth or up and down. If you want them to be able to function diagonally, get your child involved in music, either performing it or singing or listening. It's classical music. It's not popular music. But the best way to get a whole, whole brain child is have them take piano lessons, have them take instrument lessons, get them involved in that good classical 
um, God-inspired music. Really neat thing. Uh, what makes being a member of your family special? This was me for a lot of years. Mommy, can we go camping again next week? Family traditions, these are important. Have, have traditions that are just your family. It makes it so important. Maybe special meals, things for your family, family nights. Friday nights make that special. Welcome the Sabbath in a special way with your family. People will change when the pain of staying the same becomes greater than the pain of changing. When life gets too painful, we change. When what your kids are doing is too painful, we change. Change is hard. It's much easier to keep going the way we're going than go through the effort of changing. Relationships, be the parent, extend your reach, get support from teachers and leaders who work with your child. Be aware of what's going on with your child. So important. So team up. Who has influence on your child? I went over this at a seminar. The next uh, Monday, a parent came and talked to me about what they needed. Their child wouldn't eat breakfast, so they were going to team up with me, and how could I help them have breakfast? For years, I had a breakfast club in my classroom. If they ate a grain, a liquid, and a fruit, they were in the club. It was a big deal for fourth, fifth, and sixth graders to be in the breakfast club. But that's because I found out from a mom she needed some help, and I could come up and help her. So who has influence on your child? Their school teachers, their Sabbath school teachers, their adventure and pathfinder leaders, their, any clubs they're in, their leaders, their coaches, their pastor. Pastors have a big influence on kids. Grandparents may have a profound influence on kids. So team up. Aunts and uncles, kids want to please these people. So talk to them about, if you're having a struggle with your child and you think they could help you with something, talk to them. Team up and get that help. Albert Einstein said, the significant problems we face cannot be solved at the same level of thinking we are at when we created them. If we're just going through the motions, we need to be um, specific. We need to do things specifically to change what we're doing. So three R's we talked about, the roles of a parent, the routines that help us for success, and the relationships with others. Childhoods with Jesus means that every day is with Jesus. If we begin by reading education, the book Education, by reading Adventist Home, then the roles that we have as a parent are going to be influenced. The routines that we come up with are going to be influenced. And the relationships that we build with the people around us are going to be influenced because of where the spirit of prophecy leads us. We want our children to be in heaven with us. We want them to find great joy and happiness in their life here on earth. We want them to be good parents someday. And we want them to be leaders in their church and their community. And all of that has to be intentional learning and direction because we want every day to be with Jesus for our kids. And um, whew, I did it. This is one of my longest ones. As I told you, I do have a book. It's in the ABC. I'm going to be signing tonight between 5 and 6.30. But if you just go and ask where Judy Scholl's book is, they can take you to it. It is a true story about my two sons, Eric and Adam, a trip we took. It's about camping. One of my reviewers said, you know, after you read this book, you'll know all about how to go camping. 
that's, it's also about family and it's about evidence we find on the trip that shows us that the Bible's true when it talks about a worldwide flood and describing some of what they see um, that will help them understand that. Now, I think the cover is absolutely gorgeous. Those of you who were here early, my daughter-in-law was in here, Leah. Leah is a professional artist and this is also her first book. We teamed up together and she, that's a pencil, color pencil drawing and she went through photo albums to get pictures and she did the, the illustrations in the book too. So if nothing else, I can brag about her because she's fantastic. And last night, a couple other authors were talking to me about my illustrator and wondering how available she is because they looked at what was in their books and they looked at what was in my books and it was wow. So let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you for the boys and girls again that you give us. May we be true representatives of yours in all that we do and say that we can lead and grow them every day closer to you. In your name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.